week we began uh, a study, we began the new year and we began a new study in the book of First Peter. And today we're going to pick up with that study, First Peter chapter 1. You remember, I hope that you, we spent some time last week just really introducing this letter somewhat as we considered the author of the letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now if you have your Calvary Bible Church app, you can open that, and we have the notes for today there. We're going to make an effort, a concerted effort this year to get the notes out ahead of time, so uh, you can get the Calvary Bible Church app and get those. It's available under media. You just uh, click that, and you'll find the notes for today. So we looked a little bit about the authorship last week, but this morning, we really need to continue introducing the letter And we need to take some time to consider the audience of this letter, the readers, the the recipients, those who would be reading the letter that Peter writes. It is very, actually very important for us to rightly understand the message of 1 Peter. We have to understand, if we're going to understand the message of 1 Peter, we have to understand those to whom Peter is writing. I've told you a number of times that you've got to remember uh, uh, that the Bible is not written to us, but the Bible is written for us. We, We need to understand who this letter is written to so that we can understand the message of the letter. So whatever Peter meant back then is actually what Peter means today. Whatever he meant in the letter then is what he means today. It doesn't somehow magically change over time. The, the message, the lessons don't somehow magically change. This morning our text is going to be 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. And it's going to be very good for us to become very familiar with this. We, we don't want to skip it. We don't want to skim it. But just pay attention to it. Look what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, just in that text, you can see on the, on the screen that I'm going to draw your attention to three facts Three facts about the audience, three facts about the readers, three facts about the recipients of this letter. What are they? Number one, we're going to learn where they are located. So you can expect today to go away from here knowing something about these readers, where they are located. Two, you're going to see that they are loved. Three, you're going to see how they lived, where they're located that they were loved, and how they lived. And I think that when you begin to get into this, you're going to see just how amazingly applicable the message of 1 Peter is to all of us. It's, it's, it's stunning to me that this much can be packed into just this little bit of verse. Where I said, I'm not trying to draw this out unnecessarily, but I just want to get, I want to wring this like a sponge and get every drop of water that we can, every good truth that we can get out of these verses, what I want to do. So let's look this morning at the subject where they are located. You see it right there in verse 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Immediately, you notice something about these readers. They are elect exiles of the dispersion. 
dispersion. Maybe your, maybe your version says something like scattering. It's, it's a word that just means that. It, it means scattering. Now, sometimes when the word is used, it's used in a very technical sense. Sometimes you read of the dispersion and it's supposed to, to bring your mind to the Jewish people who were living in a state of scattering. They were scattered away. They were dispersed away from Jerusalem. And sometimes it's used that way. Whenever the article is present in the original language, John 7.35, the dispersion, the scattering. James 1.1, the dispersion. It's used very technically to speak of those Jews who were scattered or taken away from Jerusalem. But here, even though we see it in our English, it says the dispersion. In the original, the article is not there. The word the is not there. It's just like, to those who are elect exiles, scattered, dispersed. And, and what it means is, it's referring to believers in general who are spiritually scattered. Well, let me say it this way. Spiritually, they are exiles. Spiritually, they are pilgrims. Spiritually, they are sojourners. Spiritually, they are aliens on the earth. That word exiles... One person said it was a word that was used in the first century to designate someone who did not hold citizenship in the place where he resided. We're we're talking about a pilgrim here. The old word, as I said, is sojourner. He says you're aliens. You're living in a place that you don't really belong. Someone who is living in a place where they don't have citizenship. We're not talking about people who were citizens of Rome who've been exiled to another place within the Roman Empire. This is speaking spiritually of people who spiritually do not have a home. Listen to this quote. Daniel Doriani said this. Peter wants believers to realize that we never fully belong to this world. Strangers have no permanent residence. Aliens cannot hold positions of power and rarely enjoy full privileges. This is essential to a Christian's identity. We are exiles and therefore we will never be completely at home. That's his point. You're scattered amongst the earth. You're spiritual aliens. You're scattered about throughout the world. They're just a scattered bunch of people living in a place where they really don't belong. Think about what Paul said. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He said, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, right? Yet they're living in places such as, now this means nothing to you probably, but they're living in places such as Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about this area, because I found it fascinating to me. It's a a really large area. You can see there on that map, and if you, you can trace it for yourself if you have the maps in the back of your Bible. But this area represented hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. An area of about 750,000 square miles. So if you take the American Southwest from Texas west to California and sort of draw an oval around it, we're talking about that shape or that size of an area. We're talking here about the provinces in Asia Minor. Asia Minor, you know that to be what country? Turkey. So you can see there, you got the Black Sea on the, the north, and to the west, you have the Aegean Sea, 
And then to the east, you've got going to Asia. Now, we don't know how many were there, but just that Peter was writing to Christians in this area. He, fun fact, likely used a secretary. Remember, we called that word the amanuensis. And he would dictate it, and then the secretary would write it down. His name was Silas or Silvanus. We learned that in chapter 5. But Silas was also the one who carried this letter. So Peter is probably in Rome writing this letter. Then Silas either makes his way on ship or via land and goes up over and goes into Asia Minor and starts delivering this, this letter to several churches throughout Asia Minor, throughout these five provinces. So it was a, we would call this a circular letter. It was circulated throughout the Roman Empire received by a large number of believers who were scattered throughout the area. They're spiritual aliens living in a time and place when there was an increasing amount of hostility toward Christians. Now think, first of all, of that area there on the north, Pontus or Bithynia. That area was a rugged area, a mountainous area in the north of Asia Minor. It's just south of the Black Sea. In fact, if you look at the next slide, I'll just kind of put a circle there on it for you. And again, you can trace those. uh, Just go back another slide uh, to, well, just leave it there. That's fine. Um, You can trace these areas, as I said, uh, by looking at your your map. But if you look there on the north, there's an area called Pontius or Bithynia. Now, what's interesting is Pontius was in the east under the administration of a Greek dynasty, Bithynia, they were kind of joined together, but Bithynia was under a different um, administration. If you remember hearing from church history about the areas called Nicaea, the Council of Nicaea, or the Council of Chalcedon, those cities were located in Bithynia. Now, if you go down south of that, you see the region there called Galatia. Galatia is centrally located in Asia Minor, included many of the cities in which the Apostle Paul ministered, including Derbe, Lystra, Iconium. There's never, he was in the southern area, but there's no record of Paul ever going to the northern area of this uh, region of Galatia. Then just to the east, you'll notice uh, uh, Cappadocia. This is the largest of the Roman provinces in Asia Minor. It was also a very mountainous region, but it was known for its lush fields. So lots of grazing, lots of farmers who who had grazing flocks would be there. It was an area known for horses and, and its mules. Then all the way to the west is the province of Asia. This is the most economically developed of the provinces located far east uh, you might know about it because of the seven churches of Revelation. Remember Revelation 2 and 3, seven specific local churches. They were located right in this area of Asia. You say, Joe, I did not come here to get a geography lesson today. What in the world are you doing? Well, this is actually incredibly important for you to know. And there are four reasons for us to take time to think about where they are located. I just want you to stick with me and we'll, we'll make it through here. I was really helped about this with this. I listened to a sermon this week by uh, Albert Martin. I think, Turner's. you used to have him. I think he might have been your pastor there in Jersey. 
great. Uh, he's gone to be with the Lord, but just super helped by this. And so I'm really indebted for some of these thoughts to him. But let's just think about where they were located and what this might tell us about these people. Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What do you think this would tell us? Well, number one, it reminds us of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be turning to several places in Scripture this morning, and I want you to follow along. Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, you remember what's taking place here. We have the account of of the glorious ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles are there. The eleven are there gathered together with him. And they're asking him a question. Verse 6, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, to Israel? Will you at this time bring about the kingdom on the earth as was promised in the scriptures? Now notice what Jesus answered. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Not for you to know about this, for God's plan, God's timetable. That's not for you to know, but what is for you, you will, verse 8, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and here's the key, and to the end of the earth. Them receiving the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with ecstatic manifestations, but had everything to do with being a witness to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the way that them having the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifest would be in accordance to their being witnesses, His witnesses, as they're going from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of of the earth. Now, where's the end of the earth? Where's the uttermost parts of the earth? Well, to many of them, them living at that time, it would have been to the outreaches of the Roman Empire. And this area of Asia Minor would certainly qualify. Now remember, there were no modern conveniences No travel conveniences, no internet, cell phones. There was no social media. There were no printing presses or the like. Yet, if you connect Acts 1.8 and 1 Peter 1.1, you will understand that 30 years or so after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now reading about... This is exciting to me. In 1 Peter 1, 30 years after Jesus ascended, you are reading about functioning assemblies all the way to the utter reaches of the world in the utter reaches, the outer reaches of the Roman Empire in Asia Minor, functioning little assemblies. According to 1 Peter 5, they actually have elders. There's elders in the church. There's a functioning church In Asia Minor, 30 years after Jesus ascended. How'd that happen? Because there was no Shepherds Conference. There was no podcast. The MacArthur Study Bible was not widely read at that point. And there's a church. Many. 
How'd that happen? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There is no greater demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit than when a man or woman clearly testifies to others about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater power than when a man or woman acts in obedience to the Lord and goes forth both, bapti- both teaching and baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this fact that we read about Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia reminds us of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Exactly what God said He would do, He did. But not only that, I already know we're not going to get finished this today, so settle in. Not only that, this tells us about the preaching of the gospel. The reality, think about this friends, the reality that Peter is writing to churches, however many, however few, in these outreaches of the Roman Empire tells us that someone, somewhere, somehow preached the gospel in Asia Minor. And we know that the Apostle Paul had some ministry in the southern parts of, of the area, so perhaps maybe it was through him that the gospel reached even there. Maybe just right in the margin of your Bible, Acts 2, 9 through 11. Because in Acts 2, 9 through 11, this is what you read. And this is on the day of Pentecost, and, and they hear the apostles speaking and uttering the wonderful works of God in their own language. And here it is people, the Parthenians, verse 9, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia. In other words, what's happening? There are people on the day of Pentecost from this area, Jews or proselytes who are on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and they hear the wonderful works of God being declared by the apostles in their own language, and they're stunned, and many that day were added to the church. Could it be that some people some unknown Joe Schmo, some unknown Sally, some unknown Tom, Dick, or Harry heard the gospel in Jerusalem and decided to take, unnamed, unknown, decided to take the gospel to their hometown. We might nev- not ever know their names. No book will ever be written about them. But they decided to take the gospel and they preached it in their hometown. This, this fact that, that Peter's talking to those in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia tells us that somebody preached the gospel. Peter tells us that in 1 Peter 1.12. Listen. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. I know someone preached. The gospel was preached. Praise the Lord in that area. It reminds us of the promise of the Holy Spirit. It it tells us about the preaching of the gospel. Third, it demonstrates the power of the gospel. Remember what Paul said, Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the what? Power of God unto salvation for the Jew first 
and also for the Greek. Would you turn with me back to 1 Peter for just a moment? And I want to explain to you the lifestyle that these people in Asia Minor lived. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You, you get a sense of how they used to live? Lusts. Igno- they lived according to ignorant lusts. Anybody ever live according to ignorant lusts? Look at chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. They Futile, pointless, powerless, meaningless religion. I think that the clearest way to see how they lived is in chapter 4, however. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Oh, that we'll do in verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What are human passions? Look at this. For the time that is, this is, page, uh, this is verse 4, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That gives you a picture of how they lived. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. These people have been living in unrestrained sin. The words here paint a picture of a gang of drunks. MacArthur says they were wildly acting, swaggering, and staggering through the public streets, wreaking havoc. They, they were just a despicable bunch living up their fill of sin. But then they heard the gospel. Somebody preached the gospel. (laughs) And it transformed their lives. They were changed. So much so that they began to experience suffering because of this. If you continue reading in chapter 4, people began to make fun of them. Their friends that they were doing this, this wickedness with began to malign them and make fun because you no longer run with us in the same flood of sin. People began to make fun of them Because they no longer walked and lived their lives in wild-eyed pursuit of perversity, of the perversity of sin. When Peter says, Pontius and Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, we're reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit. We we are told that someone preached the gospel. And it, 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 it demonstrates the power of the gospel because they heard it. And it changed their lives. I mean, they were going this way, and then the gospel, and boom, they're changed. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1 for a moment. Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Look at Colossians 1, 3, and just look at the change the gospel makes. Colossians 1.3 We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this, of this hope, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and it is bearing fruit and is increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel comes in. It doesn't need to be changed in order to fit the cultural appropriations. The gospel doesn't need to be contextualized. The gospel is universal in its scope. It comes, he says, into the whole world and it bears fruit and it's increasing. It just comes in and totally changes lives. You see? The, the demonstration of the power of the gospel. That's what you're supposed to think about when you read these areas. It, you, you think how the gospel transforms lives of people in Pontus and Asia, Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. These people were wild perverts. And now it's gloriously changed Praise the Lord. But there's something else that this tells us. Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It warns us. There is a serious, serious warning here for all of us. It warns us of the problem of apostasy. I don't know what you think about when you think of modern day Asia Minor. Modern day Turkey. Maybe when you think of Turkey, you see it. And and if you've been paying attention to news, you, you see it as being a vital link between Europe and Asia. It is located on a land mass that spans two continents. Part of it, a little bit of it on Europe and most of it in Asia. Maybe you know something about the significance of Asia Minor to the church. You remember, if you've been with us on Wednesday evenings as we're walking through the book of Revelation, you remember Revelation 2 and 3 and reading about those seven specific local churches, each of them located on Asia Minor. Friends, this was a place in which the gospel was flourishing greatly in the first century. Ephesus was there. Colossae, Philadelphia, Smyrna. There was a bright gospel light shining forth from this place. Timothy, Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus. Timothy, listen, followed the apostles' call to preach the word in season and in not in Ephesus there in Asia Minor. Nicaea, Chalcedon, were located in the northern reaches of Asia Minor. This is where there were the great theological councils convened in the second, third century of of church history, settling the debate around the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, affirming the, the bedrock foundation of the church in the midst of the confusion that was introduced by false teachers. I mean, what a history. But you probably know today that there are so few Christians in those places. 
It's estimated that very few of the more than 73 million Turkish Muslims have ever heard the genuine gospel message. Perhaps less than 1%, a percentage of, the, of, the, uh, of 1% of the population of Turkey could be said to be Christian. What happened? What happened to to have the influence of the Apostle Paul in the south and the influence of the Apostle Peter in the north? And now, what happened? Tell you what happened. Go to Acts chapter 20 and I'll show you. I'll, I'll do better than tell you. I'll show you. Acts chapter 20. And look at verse 28. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Paul is meeting with some of the elders from, particularly from Ephesus. This area in the south and in that major region of Asia Minor, the, the province of Asia. And he's meeting with some of the Ephesian elders. He's meeting with them in a place called Miletus. And he says to those elders in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Because I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. What happened in Asia Minor? I'll tell you what happened. Someone fell asleep. Someone failed to be watchful. Someone failed to be alert to their enemy, the devil, who was walking around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen, Peter is writing to these Christians in these places that tells us that there was once a thriving church there, but today, they're few. Very few genuine Christians indeed. The churches, in fact, have, increased, have decreased greatly in number. Where there was once great gospel light, there is now darkness. And how is that? Paul knew it would be. He told Timothy that people would be, there would, the time would come when people would put forth teachers who would tickle their own ears and tell them what they wanted to hear. He told them that men would become enamored with themselves and that they would, there would be those who would twist the doctrine in order to create followers for themselves. Someone got lazy. Someone stopped watching. They were spiritually sleepy like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. They stopped praying. They stopped 
preaching the word. They got comfortable. They wanted to settle into the culture and soon the culture settled into them. You can imagine. They abandoned meeting together. They abandoned stirring one another up to love and good works. You know how churches die. You know how churches die. You don't need to wonder. You already know the death of our little church here. Oh no, you say, oh that can't happen, Pastor Joe. Look at how vibrant things are. Did you hear us sing this morning and listen to us pray? And we read the scriptures. We read chapters and we we give sacrificially and we serve one another and we preach the word, word by word. And yes, praise the Lord for those things. But all that needs to happen is that you, sir, you, ma'am, Get comfortable. You just settle in. Some young people here just enjoy the spiritual temperature and you, you, you take in your spiritual sights all the while you're resting in your spiritual backside. Some of the elders here will just relax and, and your spiritual discipline and, and your spiritual discipline and you'll find out what happens. Someone will just get sleepy. Someone will decide, you know, I don't want to serve anymore. Someone will decide, you know, it's easier to go with the flow. Someone will decide, I've got more important things to do on a Sunday. Someone will decide, I don't really need to gather together with the church. Someone will just go with the flow and not be so concerned about sound doctrine. And someone will decide that prayer is good but not essential. And someone will say, I'm just too busy to be hospitable. And someone will say, I'm just too tired to, to, be, to love fervently. And you'll find out the same thing that happened in Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. I wonder, is anybody going to pay attention to this text that we just so often skim and skip? Is anybody going to stand up and say, I'll be watchful? Is there some young people who will light a fire of diligence and purity in their lives? Are there some young or middle-aged men here who will stand up and decide to pursue godliness no matter come what may? Are there some women who will be like the holy women of God in the past who adorned themselves with godliness and holiness in every way? What we have in this verse, in this location, about these readers, where they're located, is a call. Remember I told you that when we look at these three facts, of which we only learned one so far, but when we look at these three facts, we'll see how applicable the book is. Do you see how applicable this book is? What we have here is a call to consider the message of this book to be even more incumbent on us today. It's a call to realize that we each have to give careful attention to ourselves and to consider one another so that we do not face the same reality that happened there. So you say, well, how do we, how do we guard? How do we be watchful? I want to be watchful, Pastor Joe. Don't let me be lazy, maybe. What do you do? Take the message of the book of 1 Peter seriously. Let me just show you. This is how that we can guard against the very present reality. We can heed the warning against the problem of apostasy. Let me tell you a couple of things to do. One, set your hope on the coming of Christ. He says in chapter 1, verse 13, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Live like Jesus is coming. Two, live a life of holiness. Chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Chapter 2, verse 11. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Live a holy life. That's how you will heed this warning. You will set your hope on the coming of Jesus Christ. You will live a holy life. Love one another sincerely, fervently. Chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Fervent love one for another will guard us against the encroachment of apostasy. Denounce sin. First Peter 2, 1, put away all malice. Don't, don't just make friendship with malice and just have a little bit of it. All deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Put it away. Hack it to pieces and desire to grow spiritually. Live as a servant of God and honor everyone. 1 Peter 2.13 be subject, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The crazed lunatic emperor. Honor him. Live like a servant of God. If you're a, if you're a servant, if you're a, and we could say if you're a slave, be subject to your masters. Not just to the good ones, but also to the unjust ones. Wives, here's how you do it. Wives, submit to your own husbands, and husbands, love your wives. 1 Peter 3.1 Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Verse 7 Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And however politically incorrect that is, It is spiritual gold. You want to know how to to watch out for, how to heed the warning of apostasy? Live in tender-hearted unity of mind with others. 1 Peter 3, 8. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Pray as if you believe Christ were returning at that very moment. Verse 7 of chapter 4. Therefore, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The fact that we know that the end is, is upon us, we ought to be even more serious in our praying. Be a vital part of the local church in unity and service. Above all, he says in verse 8, 
Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Be a vital part of the local church. Stop dating the church. Stop being a a hitchhiker when it comes to the church. Otherwise, you will find written over this place, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Humble yourself under God's hand and plan. Humble yourself, he says in verse 6 of chapter 5. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do you do that? Cast all your anxiety on him. Don't be dumb about spiritual warfare. Don't be a spiritual blockhead when it comes to spiritual warfare. Be sober-minded, verse 8 of chapter 5, and be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's how you heed the warning against apostasy. And that's the first truth. We only have two more, and it's not even tomorrow yet, so let's keep going. No, I'm only kidding. We're going to stop there, and we'll look look next week, not just where they were located, but we'll see that they were loved and how they lived. Let's pray together.